They say all marriages are made in heaven, but so are thunder and lightning. Clint Eastwood. And hello! Welcome, guys! It's another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, please say hello to everybody's fine friend, AJ Mass. Why, hello, fine friend. How are you? I am everybody's, so you are not special. <laughs> uh, and I feel so not special. AJ, we are here as we are each week to talk about the program Criminal Minds. And uh, as I like to say, I have never seen the show before, so you're going to get a fresh first watch perspective from me. And you have seen this show many times, so you're giving it that uh, longtime fan perspective. Grizzled veteran, I like to say. Grizzled vet. Oh, I like that. That's grizzled veteran, AJ Matt. That's how I'm going to try to introduce you from now on. Grizzled veteran. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Grizzly Adams, uh, Dan Haggerty. Oh, no. <laughs> Nobody listening knows what that, what that means at all. <laughs> yeah. Was he was Dan Haggerty related to Julie Haggerty? Um, I don't know or, for sure, but uh, you know, I'll I'll go on an airplane and uh, see yeah, if I can find out yeah. the answer. We're so old. We Ugh. are. <laughs> we are so old. Don't don't even get me started on some of the things that I just heard. Oh yeah, it's the thirtieth anniversary. What? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, folks, this week we are here to recap. Uh, season one, episode 14 of Criminal Minds, which is entitled Riding the Lightning. It originally aired on January 18, 2006. It was directed by Chris Long and written by Simon Mirren, whom we've uh, already established in the lore of our podcast that he's related to Helen Mirren because they have the same last name. And that's all you need, just like the Haggerty's. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's get into it, AJ. Let's start this episode, and I don't want to give anything away, but I have to say something in the cold open made me so excited that I, I was just surprised, shocked, and pleased, and right, we'll get well, to that Let's go for it. Second. Awesome. I'm looking forward. <laughs> this week's cold open does not actually start with a poor schlub getting iced in some diabolical way, like how many of the cold opens have been for this show. Fair, fair. Instead, we start... With a classical music piece being played and a close-up on Gideon, who appears to be totally enraptured with the music. Quite the goofy stare, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's smiling and just letting it really sink into his soul. He closes his eyes and takes it in. And then we transition to him sitting in the passenger seat of uh, BAU SUV, uh, Bowsov, as I like to call it. He has his eyes closed, but JJ breaks into the moment. She's sitting in the back seat, and she says, uh, Sarah Jean and Jacob Dawes butchered, what, 12 girls? <laughs> so that kind of breaks the mood. And There goes the reverie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gideon, uh, Gideon looks down uh, at his file and says, uh, 13, including the girl that was just found. Morgan is driving the car, and as he watches, and he's watching as Gideon is going through the pictures, and we see one of them is a skeleton, and we learn that that girl was Hillary Dixon, who disappeared approximately 15 years ago. 
but now she's been found buried under Sarah's mother's living room. JJ wonders if this was the last victim, and Gideon says, well, that's what we're here to find out. The screen text helpfully tells us this is Central Florida. Yeah, this you know, particular just city, generic Central Florida. Generic Central Florida. <laughs> I, I, again, I, this very nice early job of just, hey, what's the premise of this episode? That's what we're here to find out. Okay, good. Mission statement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There are, we see, pull out and see that there's actually two SUVs driving along a highway. The Morgan, JJ, and Gideon SUV is in the first car. Now we cut to the second car. And Rita's saying something, but I can hardly pay attention to it because I immediately see Garcia in the back seat. And AJ, this is the moment that just made me say, I like this episode before even knowing what the rest uh, happens. Garcia is on the field mission with them. The field op, I should say. Elevated, I'm so excited. Yeah, elevated to main cast, uh, at least in practice, if not in credits form. Absolutely. It's uh, certainly nice to see her. Uh, although she's not very happy to be there, as we will learn. <laughs> no, she's like, Reed is going through the case and he doesn't seem happy because there's, you know, things about their Sarah and Jacob Dawes' relationship that's missing. And Elle is like, the state doesn't care about that. They just want this case to go away. Hotch says they were caught, confessed and got the death penalty. And then Garcia brings up, hey, you know, y'all know that visiting death row is not really part of my job description. Uh, Reed is happy and excited. He's like, this is the first serial killer couple we've ever recorded for Vicap. And they, it surprised me they didn't stop and explain what Vicap was, AJ. Very true. Because it's never come up before, as far as I can recall. On this show. is true. And, uh, and I do believe at some point they will get more into Vicap. And you know how it's you know, this is a reporting system, and you know where you can co compile and collate. All, you know, basically, so you don't need Garcia to do a, a search from scratch every time. They have all the information of, of uh, offenders in one place. So I think that's uh, a good thing to have. But yeah, you're right. I actually wanted that explanation for a change. <laughs> like, don't explain to me OMG. Explain to me by cap. Uh, LOL. <laughs> what does that mean? Are you looking out longingly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an FBI thing. So at least the fact that they use the jargon. I actually yeah. like the fact because FBI people are together, that's not the time to explain it. Because, of course, everyone in that car would know, and we would yell at them if they explained it there. Now, when they go to the police headquarters at some point, right. they say, have you checked VICAP? They go, VICAP? What's that? And, you know, and then Al has to chime in, oh, this is the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. And blah, blah, blah. You know, then we can get the full explanation there, yeah. Very fair. Uh, Garcia is like, those people slaughtered 13 young girls with blonde hair. Hello? So we get that little piece of information uh, about our serial killers. Uh, we cut back to the first car, and they are also expositing things. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Jean is called the Ice Queen because of how she acted during her trial. Uh, JJ says she killed her two-year-old son and 12 teenage girls. And Gideon says she only confessed to the murder of her son, Riley. Um, she has... Denied previous requests for an interview. And Morgan says if she doesn't talk now, she's going to take that story with her to old Sparky. Old Sparky, who, of course, is the prospector who lives down the road in the gulch. <laughs> no, of course not. 
<laughs> no, we cut to a shot of old Sparky himself, and he says, "Hello." No, uh, I got the gold. It's the electric I got chair. The gold. <laughs> it's uh, the electric chair, and we see a few dramatic shots of it with you know dramatic lighting and and it really wasn't like a red carpet photo shoot of old sparky (laughs) yeah the electric chair is getting its own you know special little photo session the beginning of the episode and in a way it is a a main character oh absolutely looming large throughout the whole episode yeah so we transition into the prison where uh the warden is walking sarah jean to her death watch cell uh He's giving her all the details of the procedures and protocols that will follow. And I think the one that got to me the most was that her last meal cannot exceed $20. Which And that is different by state. Uh, and I know that there was a time uh, when, especially on television and in film, you would get a, a death row prisoner and they would get like lobster thermidor or, you know, mountains of sushi. Anything. Anything they want. If I want uh, some kind of special champagne, if I want some truffles, I, I'm getting that on death. That's what I assumed it was like. So this kind of uh, surprised me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think this is probably more realistic than not. Like, yeah, $20, that's it. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll order out, but, you know, well, you know we're yeah. in a budget here. <laughs> Sarah does ask if she can see the full moon one last time, and the warden tells her, sorry, that's against the rules, won't. Won't be able to do that. They open her cell and let her in. We get a close-up on her, and she looks like she's about ready to die. She's got that pensive look on her face. She's worn down by the life she's led behind bars, no doubt. The SUVs arrive at the prison, and there's a bunch of protesters outside. For some reason, they show us a group of protesters that are a group of women in blonde wigs, and Gideon says they call themselves the Women of Jacob. Uh, they try to look like his victims, and JJ says one of her favorite words, creepy. <laughs> Morgan notes that there's only 12 of them. They should let them know <laughs> maybe that they're one short on the victim count. <laughs> and Gideon says, uh, at least. He doesn't think that Hillary Dixon was necessarily Jacob's last victim. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, one of the things that we learn a lot on this show is that on subs, if they have a dumping site for their victims, that's usually their only site. Um, but once you discover that there might be a second site, well, then there might as well be a third and a fourth and a fifth. Or who knows? So a uh, very, very uh, uh, subtle way of telling that story going forward uh, in terms of maybe not affecting this case, but maybe affecting cases years down the road. Definitely. As, as Gideon is saying this, we do now see Jacob being escorted uh, by the warden on his dead man walking cell march. <laughs> then we get an extreme close-up of the uh, name Sarah Jean tattooed on his arm. And that leads us into the credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Indeed, yes. Let's get right into this. This is uh, shaping up to be exciting already. We come back to another dramatic shot sequence of the electric chair. <laughs> we get our opening quote from a Gideon voiceover. Whosoever sheddeth a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis 9-6. Yeah, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Hammurabi. 
Uh, we cut to the prison command center and we see Garcia, who has managed to get a very similar setup to her home base. Uh, all of the monitors, you know, sort of surrounding her. And she's got uh, all the monitors she needs. <laughs> AJ, uh, You know, when she comes on a mission, they must have a control center. <laughs> yes. And only one of the monitors currently has anything on it right now. And this is the monitor that's dedicated to this big ass countdown clock. I have, that apparently is necessary to be on screen. Well, you know, the they're time. there for a limited time. And the, the, the end of that time will be marked by the execution of the two people that are there to interview. There's no point in staying any longer. So this isn't so much a countdown clock of... Uh, as in the past when a, a child has been abducted and they have this artificial 24 hours or the kid's definitely dead. No, at this point, when that clock hits zero, these two people will be dead. Th- that is exactly the date they have. Unless there's some sort of a rolling blackout or something, that's the time. Yep. We also get some lettering on the screen to tell us that it is Monday, 8 a.m., 35 hours remaining. Shpoop, shpeep, shpoop, shpeep. Sorry, wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no Bowers to be found. Uh, then we get to another long but necessary exposition scene of them explaining the whole setup. Sarah Jean and Jacob Dawes. In 1985, there was a string of missing girls reported in northern Florida. Police got an anonymous call from a woman who saw Jacob with some of the girls. So police uh, went to interview him, and at that time, also present were Sarah Jean and their two-year-old son, Riley. They were suspicious, so they came back three hours later with a search warrant. Uh, At this point, they found out that Riley was missing. They searched and eventually found the bodies of 12 missing girls buried underneath Jacob's workshop. During all this, we get the usual film action of what's happening, as Hotch is explaining it, but... Thank the Lord for me, for me, for you, dog. Uh, Hotch is not paying any attention to the video scenes. I, uh, going I know on you hate it when they turn around and start pointing me. or interacting. Or you know, one, one of these episodes, Morgan's just gonna turn around and go, "Sup?" <laughs> one of the people in these visions. <laughs> oh God! Spoiler alert! <laughs> Reed takes over uh, and he says, thinking that the police were onto them, Jacob apparently thought Riley would slow them down. So he ordered Sarah Jean to kill him and get rid of the body. Gideon says Sarah confessed to killing Riley, but never admitted to having any role in any killing of the other girls. Morgan says, but Jacob said she was in on it for all of the victims. Well, Jacob said, Jacob said, Jacob said. They point out that the prison records show that Jacob is a sexual psychopath, but they didn't have anything really on Sarah Jean, who seemed to act more like a war-torn victim uh, than anything else. Yeah, I think we're getting a nice uh, picture of what they believe the relationship between the two to be, that Jacob is the controlling murderer and Sarah Jean is kind of the victim of circumstance who just kind of goes along with it because what else can she do at this point? Exactly. All of a sudden, some guy in the room is like, just so we're clear, they've agreed to these interviews. Uh, L asks him for our sakes. We're all thinking at this point, myself included, (laughs) even having seen the episode. (laughs) Uh, Who are you? (laughs) 
<laughs> he's uh, Sam Shapiro. They're the appeals attorney. And uh, Hotch lets them know that they did agree to the uh, they did agree to the interviews, and in fact, they actually requested these interviews. Yeah, and I have the paperwork to prove it, which I love. The fact that, like, so here's my yes. permission slip, sir. <laughs> Shapiro says he still can't get them a stay of execution. Gideon goes into his usual giving everybody some orders mode. Tells Hotch that to, he's going to interview Jacob, and he tells Morgan and L. Uh, they get to go to Jacob and Sarah Jean's house, which is scheduled for demolition. Demolition. Morgan holds up a picture of the place. Hey, you just know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we Kodak travel to the scene, and the SUV is pulling up at the I mean, house, which looks like a real dump. Yeah, by they the telegraph that thing though, big time. He holds up the picture. They kind of tilts it at an angle, and then like he holds it. Holds it. You're just like, come on, can we zoom in already? Oh, there we are. Hey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's my favorite thing, AJ. Uh, uh, so Ellen and uh, Morgan let themselves onto the grounds of the house. They're talking about the case. Jacob said that Sarah Jean would lure the girls to smoke pot with them in their truck. But instead of pot, there'd be Jacob. And then they'd kidnap the girls and take them back here. They go uh, into the back of the house where Jacob's workshop used to be. Uh, Morgan says, this is where the workshop stood and like magic. And I actually really liked this particular camera trickery, but like magic, you know, the, instead of there being nature or the area where the workshop was, we see the workshop sort of build itself into existence as it as it was low those many years ago. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool to use this trick that they like to do of, of envisioning things to in, in a place where it actually helps us uh, understand what Morgan has to say expositionally is like, well, and this used to be here, and this used to be here. We can cut all that. Just imagine. Here you go. Boom. There it yeah. is. And. You know, I mean, it's a little much when L goes in and goes, and there used to be, there was an arch here. And then the arch, okay, stop, slow your roll, yeah. just do it, don't say, and over there was, a, weren't there three doors over there? Like, oh, we got, we got the gist of it. So, uh, yeah, it yeah. was good. You know, it was still a little, uh, a little unwieldy, you know, when he goes and down here on the ground, the ground transforms into like the concrete. It's like, yeah. All right, just either all or nothing. Let's go. Chop, chop. Don't keep building as we go. Basically, where they were is where the workspace was. And uh, it's clear that Jacob used this as a torture room. The bodies were marked with that. And they matched many of the tools that were in that area. And then there was a bench saw that he used to dismember the bodies. Fun. And, uh, and bury them under the floor. Morgan does say we know Jacob was abused as a child, but what about Sarah Jean? Elle says, well, her mother didn't testify and she's never talked to anybody. So they decide they're going to go to see Sarah Jean's mother to see if she's willing to, to talk now. I think it's, it's, it's at least uh, nice that Elle makes this suggestion and Morgan goes along with it because they didn't have to ask Gideon for help or permission. <laughs> like when he told us to go here, he didn't tell us to go. You know, they have the... the the ability to do this on their own. I like I like the fact that they can investigate right. even though Gideon is kind of in charge, you know? Yeah, they have the the ability to say, oh, I found this decision and I'm, I'm going to make it. And, uh, and it was nice of Elle to bring yeah. that up right now immediately so they could actually act on it instead of three hours after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Elle, <laughs> so far. Uh, yeah, so far I have no problems with Elle, so far. 
so far. Except for maybe pointing out the the arch that, <laughs> but that wasn't really her. Thing, no, but was... I mean, you know, she's very she's very observant this episode. Like, and you are. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to uh, the warden, and he's walking down the corridor of, of Death Watch cells with uh, Gideon and Reed, and he's saying that the guards call this walk Dead Man's Alley. Gideon asks if Sarah Jean has had any contact at all with Jacob, and the warden says, until today, she's declined contact with anyone, and uh, they keep her away from the other prisoners for her own safety because everybody, she must have been notorious, notorious, and everybody... Uh, may have wanted to harm her there in the uh, in the prison. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a show that just started recently. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime called Tell Me Your Secrets, starring Lily Rabe, which is essentially this relationship kind of thing going on in that storyline. And she goes to jail and like within minutes, three other inmates beat the crap out of her. So I think that's probably a wise decision. So it's very fair that they uh, made that choice. So the warden has her cell opened and we see her focusing on some paintings that apparently she's done while all this time has passed for her uh, on death row. And uh, Gideon says, oh, that's pretty accomplished work. And Sarah Jean says she's had a long time to work on it. And she's wondering what Gideon is there for. What does he want to know? And Gideon says uh, that he thinks it's time the mothers of the dead girls got to know why their children had to die. Indeed. And we then cut to Morgan and L knocking at a door of a house that has boarded up windows and graffitied on graffitied on one of the uh, boards in red spray paint. Some graffiti that says rotten hell, Sarah Jean. And I'm wondering why the mom is still choosing to live in this, but uh, I, maybe it happens so frequently that she's just resigned to to that fact. Yeah, although they did just point out the fact that they just found the body in her house of the 13th victim. So maybe that particular graffiti uh, is is brand new. I mean, you know, we will eventually go inside and we'll see that the crime scene tape is still up inside the house. So it's a recent development. True, true. Uh, so anyway, Miss Miss Mason does answer the door. Thank goodness she did, too, because Morgan was about to bust that thing down once again. <laughs> he was about to kick it in. <laughs> he definitely wanted to. She answers the door. They confirm that she's Sarah Jean's mom, and they identify themselves as a BAU. And the, and Mrs. Mason is like, she's, she's my daughter. Yes. What do you need to know? All you need to know is that her and her son-of-a-bitch husband buried a 13-year-old girl under her floor. So... Yeah, I guess it's fair that maybe the house is in the condition that it is now. Yeah, it's it's a little fresh, and she's a little drunk, so <laughs> it's yes. not the greatest combination. She's drinking out of a teacup, by the way. <laughs> she's drinking her booze out of a teacup, which I thought was interesting. Well, I mean, manners, Kinsad, manners. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they do tell her that Sarah Jean is interviewing with them. They want some background information, so she lets them into the house and Morgan is noting the place and saying, well, it's had extensive remodeling, <laughs> which is kind of funny because of the police tape and everything that's there. Yeah. Uh, he's not really talking about that. He's actually actually talking about an addition that was put on, actually put onto the house. But it yeah, just it, sounded kind of weird there. With yeah, that when you're walking past the rubble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I mean, yeah, you're right. He's looking at the he's, he's noticing the arch in particular. <laughs> Yes, uh, he actually says, I see he liked arches. 
And uh, Mrs. Mason says, no, you know what he liked? Teenage girls. That's what he liked. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. They uh, So they question her and they start to talk about Sarah Jean, who was apparently fine when she was growing up until she met Jacob. Uh, she was shy and quiet and smart. Then they start to ask about Sarah's relationship with her father and they just get right out to it and say, was she ever abused by him? Yeah, Elle doesn't mince, mince any words. <laughs> no. Elle's got no patience this Elle week. Because Elle is all about that. Yeah. <laughs> In general, yes, but especially this week. And who the hell are you? <laughs> so let's say, all right, yeah, yeah. Abuse, yes or no? Because <laughs> we <Yeah>. just talk. <laughs> yeah, and Mrs. Mason is trying to say, well, he was strict. He was a military man. Uh, no, was he abused? That's what they want to know. <laughs> Morgan says if they can understand the dynamics of the relationship, they can get a better of idea of of why and what actually happened. And it might answer why Jacob didn't kill Sarah Jean. They shared something. They must've shared a similar type of pain. Mrs. Mason said that her husband was a mean jerk, but he only hurt her. They ask her why she didn't leave. And Mrs. Mason says she had no place to go. And then they ask her straight up if she was the anonymous caller that tipped off the police. And she says, no, but she knows who's who it was. And she pulls an envelope out of her purse and hands it to Elle and says, this came uh, this morning. Morgan asks Elle what it says. And Elle says, it says, a statement of innocence. And I would like to say that it is a pleasure to uh, see an episode. There's been a few episodes uh, this season up till now where Elle would have said, what is that? When she pulled out the envelope. <laughs> I'm glad that it's like... Right. We, we can we see it's an envelope. It's obviously a letter that was mailed to her. Like, we don't need any more further explanation. I'm glad we've gotten past that part of the writing where we feel we have to really over-explain. Because they don't serve Elle when they do that. It, yeah, it could they usually They don't serve her. her for being the intelligent. Yeah, they usually give it to her to play sort of our, since she's the newbie, they give it to her to play our role. One of criminals again? <laughs> <laughs> We cut back to the prison and they're escorting Sarah Jean somewhere and she's talking to Reed and she's saying, oh, he, he's a doctor and so young. Your mother must be very proud, which is an interesting line from her. All of a sudden, down a separate but connected corridor, we see Jacob is also being escorted out and he sees them and shouts, Sarah Jean, oh, you look so fine. This is meant to be Sarah Jean and it's a beautiful thing. The guards sort of subdue him and escort him out. And uh, Sarah Jean is, is a smart girl. She confronts Gideon and says, you designed that to happen, didn't you? Uh, what did you learn? Yeah, it was it was nice because you, you learned so much just from character uh, basis in, in this one thing, which is exactly the point of it. I like the fact that we, as viewers of the show, can also observe this and pull all the information we need is that, you know, Jacob be cray <laughs> and and he's just rude and crass calling her baby cakes and all this stuff and from the moment she hears his voice and turns around she just glares glares at him <laughs> and then turns around and keeps the glare for Gideon like uh-huh really really yeah. it was a really nice character <laughs> moment for for both of them we, le we yeah. learned everything we needed to know about them for the rest of the episode from that one shot nice yes we do we cut to Hotch next, and he's uh, interviewing Jacob, who for some reason has a deck of cards. All right. I guess it's they give that $20. to you. Uh, 
Uh, and he's insisting on showing Hotch a trick. He spreads out a bunch of cards on the table and asks Hotch to pick a card. Uh, but Hotch ain't trying to do no tricks at this moment in time. He uh, says, you're a diagnosed psychopath. And Jacob corrects him and says, sexual psychopath. Ah, <laughs> use the full title. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Now pick a card. Then Hotch just says, now, how many other girls did you kill? And Jacob asks a question we've probably <laughs> asked many times. He asks Hotch if he ever smiles. And uh, I'm like, nah, brah, not much since the pilot. <laughs> or or maybe when we saw his still-to-be-named child, uh, maybe he was smiling and back then. And once on the plane when they were making fun of the fact that Reed was winning at poker. But yeah, that, oh, that's right. pretty much it, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jacob says it's hard to trust a guy who never smiles. Hotch says, again, are there more bodies? And Jacob says, if I tell you that, what would I have for myself? Uh, Hotch tells him, hey, you can help out the families and help them get closure before you die. And Jacob is like, uh, yeah, ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe he's a horrible person, but you, you got to understand where Jacob's coming from at this point. He's like, yo, and if I don't, what are you going to do? Kill me? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, he still tries to get Hotch to pick a card, <laughs> and Hotch, Hotch is just giving him a death stare the whole time. And we cut over to Reed and Gideon, who are interviewing Sarah. They are asking her what she saw in Jacob, and she says, freedom. And Reed says, freedom from what? Uh, before we get that answer, we cut to Garcia, who is watching and recording the interviews. And she gets a call from Elle, who needs to talk to Gideon. So she interrupts the interview and patches L straight through. Yeah, I think it seems to be a long, drawn-out <laughs> way of communication here. But, you, you know, they're in a prison. You know, there's not going to be a phone in with Gideon. They probably can't even bring a phone in, in all likelihood, because we're on death row. So I will allow it. Plus, it sets up this really cool dynamic where... Uh, we, we have an earpiece that Gideon is being in communication with outside of the interview cell. And uh, it's nice to set that up here. So Elle tells Gideon about the letter that they got from Mrs. Mason. Uh, and Gideon tells her to read the letter. And as Elle uh, is reading the letter, Gideon is repeating it to Sarah Jean. So they start off, Mom, I know how difficult things this must be. Things between us were never what they should be between a mother and daughter. And Sarah Jean is not happy about this development. Uh, she says it's a private letter, but Gideon is continuing on. He says, I want you to know that the best part of me, the most important part of me, is now in a better place than you and I will ever be. And Sarah Jean is shouting, stop it. And she rips Gideon's earbuds directly from his head. But now Reed, who has also is also piped in and has an earbud, uh, picks up where Gideon left off. She is saying, I'm responsible for the death of those girls. I neglected my duties as a woman and as a mother. Sarah Jean is trying to physically stop Reed and she lunges at him, but uh, Gideon restrains her and tells her, take it easy. They get her seated and she just starts crying and Gideon says, neglected your duty? That doesn't make you responsible. You didn't kill those girls. Why didn't you say this in court? Sarah says, well, she knew he brought the women back to his workshop. And Reed says, well, that's a long way from knowing that he was killing them. 
And Sarah says, no, they died as a result of my neglect. Gideon says uh, that this letter suggests to him that an innocent woman is about to be executed for a crime she did not commit. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, powerful scene. Excellent emotion there. Uh, I, you question a little bit what's going on with, with the staff at this prison when uh, Sarah Jean lunges at Reed and there's not a lot of reaction from the guards in the room. And then Gideon restrains her, puts her in the chair, and like with, with just puts his hand up, and you see the guard go, oh, well, I guess I'll go back to not helping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I think maybe death row guards have a whole separate set of standards, I guess. They let people get away with a little more. Right, and, and you know, she's not violent, and, you know, they can handle themselves, and, you know, they weren't really in danger. But, you know, we have seen other situations where guards are a lot more quick to respond <laughs> to any motion from an inmate. Uh, yes. So, you know. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we cut for... She's not Tony Todd. Let's put it that way. She's not Tony <laughs> right. Todd. You don't have to run in there like with six guys like, oh, hold him down, hold him down. <laughs> yep, good point. We cut back to Garcia, Reed, and Morgan, and they're they're watching now this interview with Sarah and we're informed that it is Monday at 9 p.m. and there are 24 hours remaining. We hear again the part where Sarah is saying the girls d- died as a result of her neglect. And as we hear Gideon's response to her, we pan over and see the appeals lawyer uh, Shapiro is there as well. And he's saying this video is not enough to get a stay of execution. Gideon's like, well, you want facts? Read? And Reed explains uh, all about human sexuality and the dynamic of biological, physiological, and emotional components and how Jacob's needs were informed by the emotional sexual abuse he received at the hand of his mother. Gideon says the long-term repetitive abuse informed the template of his love map, something they refer to as a signature. Yeah, well, you know, it it does make sense that if when you're young, you're exposed to certain things as being what love is and how you express love and what sex is and how you express sex, that when you grow up, you're not, it's not even an active choice. That's just going to inform uh, your love map uh, going forward. So that makes total sense to me. And uh, certainly, yeah, if that's what you need to get off, you're going to put yourself in situations where you can get off. So uh, it makes total sense that it would impact your signature. So that was a great job of explaining without over-explaining, and yet you did need to explain it to this guy. So well done. Kudos indeed. Gideon is basically saying, they're basically saying that Jacob was an only child, so he was alone when this abuse was happening. So therefore, in order to fulfill that fantasy, to live out that fantasy, he needs to be alone with all of his victims. If Sarah Jean was there, that would have completely destroyed the fantasy. The warden says, well, she did confess to killing her son. And Reed says, yeah, that's true. But we're also convinced that she's the one who made the anonymous call to the police that tipped them off to Jacob. Guilt-ridden, filled with remorse, she made this call, and it's really not the profile of a woman who would then kill a child. The lawyer says, well, what they need actually is evidence. (laughs) 
<laughs> thanks, thanks, lawyer. <laughs> Gideon asks if they can prove that Jacob killed Riley. Would that get a stay of execution? And the lawyer says, "Of course, absolutely." doesn't actually know that to be honest what the lawyer is saying like i need at least uh enough to make that argument right. to the governor because it all comes the governor could do whatever he wants at any time he could say hey i think we might have something and the governor could say sure i'll allow it sure i'll let you do another recount sure <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it is the governor's whim you, yeah. you, they could they they could they could find the resurrected bodies of all 12 victims come on in and say, we weren't dead. We were hiding the whole time. We made them up. They're fake skeletons. And the governor could say, yeah, execute them anyway. They're, you know, that's, that's it's totally up to the whim. That's the power he has. Gideon then looks at the live video of Sarah and her paintings, and he's noticing how she's sort of protecting the painting. And uh, he says, she protects the painting. She protects the boy, <laughs> which... That was an interesting choice of phrasing for him. And Shapiro says, what? <laughs> Gideon says, the paintings are her statement, so they need to figure out what these paintings say. Yes. So now we've moved from uh, psychology to art appreciation <laughs> and analysis. <laughs> we cut next to a news report from outside of the prison. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Reporting live from outside the prison. It's exposition news. <laughs> exposition news all 24 hours a day, all the time. Every television station with exposition news. The FBI's BAU is here. And oh, what's this? We've just heard there might be a request for a stay. <laughs> a stay of execution. And we cut to JJ saying, who the hell told him that? <laughs> Garcia says, it doesn't matter. She doesn't see Hotch getting anything out of Jacob anyway. JJ says maybe she can help, and she starts adjusting her blouse and fixing her hair. And Garcia is like, girl, what you doing? <laughs> yeah, my notes I wrote, JJ in this instant realizes she's a blonde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that just might help. <laughs> so we cut to Hotch entering the cell room to talk to Jacob, who is smoking a cigarette. He looks at Hotch and, and jokes, I know, I know, one day these things are going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> and, and then he's disappointed, of course, when he does not get a laugh from Hotch on that one. All of a sudden, they let JJ into the cell and Jacob perks up and he's like, hey, now, who are you? Uh, she says, my friends call me JJ. And he starts to stand, but Hotch tells him to sit down. And Jacob says, hello, JJ. And she says, you are not my friend. You can call me Jennifer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Jacob's it's like, a, ouch. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting power dynamic that but you know, she I think she as inexperienced as she is does know exactly how to play this. And I think she's doing an excellent job thus far. Yes. Then we cut to uh Gideon who has uh, gone back to Sarah and she's apologizing for her earlier behavior and for breaking his ear thing which Gideon gives a small little laugh at. And she says, uh, he has a lovely smile. And then she starts sort of psychoanalyzing and says, but you don't smile that much. <laughs> and uh, Gideon says, neither does she. Then the guards walk in with her paintings. And Gideon says he took the liberty of getting those from her cell. She looks perturbed at this. She says, no, this is private. Gideon holds one up and says, 
Riley running free and lines it up against the wall. He grabs the next painting, which is of a river, and he says, a river flowing positive energy, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Then he picks up the next painting, and it's a a vase with some roses in it. And he says, 12 roses, one for each girl Jacob killed. 12, not 13. We found number 13. Didn't know about her, did you? You didn't know about any of them. And she says, well, I never said that I did. Yeah, it's uh, he's he's really just throwing darts here. But really, it's interesting that the she's so private. She doesn't want anyone to know anything. She just wants this to all be over. Um, she's willing to get the interview, but she really doesn't want them to figure anything out. And yet, the thing that's causing all this to proceed is the fact that she mailed that letter. I think she just didn't have the faith in the postal service to deliver it on time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she mailed, she probably mailed it on Friday. <laughs> it's like, well, they're not going to actually deliver it over the weekend. And, you know, I'm going to be gone on Tuesday. So, you know, maybe they'll get it at the end of the day Tuesday. My mom's not going to tell anybody. Like, they're like, no, they delivered it first thing Monday morning. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah. Too bad for you. Uh, we cut back to Hotch and JJ and they're with Jacob. And Jacob is telling uh, him it was a nice job he did, bringing in the hottie. Uh, (laughs) He really must want to know if there were other girls. Uh, He says, I'll tell you what, let's play some draw poker. You win. I'll give you details on another girl. Hotch is like, so there are more. And Jacob asks if they have a bet. And Hotch says, well, what if you win? He says, I get to smell Jennifer's hair. <laughs> I mean, he is such a lech. It is awful. The only yeah. thing I wish that he would have said is when, when uh, Hutch said, "What do I get if if I win? I'll make like Pen and tell her." <laughs> yeah, that would have that would have uh, pleased me, but probably caused many people around the country to groan. Uh, <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> but anyway, JJ says. She's like, it's okay, Hotch. You can you can do the poker. Jacob starts to deal the cards, but Hotch grabs them away and says, JJ deals. You think I'd let you deal from your own deck? Jacob just laughs at that, and, and JJ starts to shuffle the cards. He also starts calling him Hotch, which is just an awesome example. Uh, maybe not for this time, but for future reference that when you are in a room with one of these evil serial killers... Be careful what you say, because they pick up on everything. (laughs) And they use it. Yep. We cut back to Gideon with Sarah. He says that she's confessed to killing her own son. Why would she lie about that? She says she didn't. So Gideon says, well, where's the body? She asks Gideon if he has any kids. He says that's irrelevant. She asks if he has any pictures of his kids. And Gideon says they're getting off the point. And she says, are we? (laughs) Uh, we cut back to the poker game and Jacob is saying it's been so long since he could actually play cards with someone. All that he's had is solitaire. So then Hotch says he'll take two cards and Jacob decides to stand pat with his hand. Yes. Which makes absolutely no sense. If you're talking from a poker playing standpoint here is that of course, Jacob's going to stand pat because he's been dealt a straight, which, yeah, the odds of that, not very good. 
But Hotch gets ace, ace, eight, seven, six, and decides to only turn in the seven and the six. <laughs> like, yeah. Wouldn't you turn in the eight as well, AJ? You would, unless, of course, you knew that somehow JJ has stacked the deck. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense because I never referenced that or anything. And if it was Reed, I would expect that because Reed, of course, as we know, is a magician because he did the little trick on the train and everything. He knows the sleight of hand stuff. And he's from Vegas. Exactly. I don't know. Did Reed teach JJ how to fix the deck? It's just odd that this happened naturally. There's no way that it really did. But it doesn't make sense. It's just a plot loophole here that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's one of those things where we just we're expected to just buy that it happened. Yes, which I do not. <laughs> <laughs> we cut back to Gideon and he's asking Sarah, how old would her son be now? 17. Uh, imagine what he could have become. Jacob has put a, an end to any chance of that. And she asks Gideon if the strain of his work affected his marriage and Gideon says he's not married. And she says, well, you you wear a ring. And uh, Gideon asks her, why would she still be protecting Jacob? Uh, she deflects again, asking Gideon if he's divorced because of putting people like her away. He says she, he thinks she's innocent. And she says, we're all guilty of something. But it's our children who suffer for our sins, isn't it? Gideon says, uh, you'd have to ask him. Referring to his mm-hmm. son. Which we which we just recently learned that he had, so well done in keeping the storyline going. We don't have to question this. We know his son and we know his name, unlike Hotch. <laughs> yes. And now we will know his age because she asks him, how old is he? And Gideon says 25. She asks if he has a picture of him. Gideon says in his office. And uh, she says, you don't carry him with you, which I like the phrasing of that. Yeah. You don't carry him with you. Meaning his picture, but also you're carrying yeah. him. Yeah, I like that. He says no. She says, well, to protect him, you want to leave him somewhere safe, somewhere clean. Gideon says you killed Riley to protect him from Jacob. And she says she protects her son as Gideon protects his. Again, Gideon asks where he's buried. She says all that matters is he's safe. Gideon says, where is he? And all she says is he's in a better place. All of which is Gideon not picking up what she's putting down. Because I think she's it's she's really letting him know what's going on here. Like, just like you do with your son. Basically say, you didn't kill your son, did you? No. So I certainly didn't kill mine. Like, definitely saying it without saying it. And uh, he's just not catching on. We cut back to the poker hand. JJ's hair... Smell is still on the line. <laughs> Jacob asks Hotch what he has. And so Hotch shows <clears throat> only four cards. It says two pair aces and eights. And Jacob says, oh, that's the dead man's hand, which is good. That's a true. Uh, that's known as the dead man's hand. It is true, but it's a little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Jacob says, I should have had that. But then, of course, I would have lost. And he lays down his jack high straight and he starts to get excited for hair smell in time. Uh, and Hotch is like, oh, I'm sorry. Here's my fifth card. Actually, I have a full house. Aces over eights. Uh, I didn't like that. <laughs> no, it's unnecessary. 
completely unnecessary. It, it, it beggars belief. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, no yeah. bueno. Jake Jacob is uh, disappointed that he doesn't get to smell the hair, but uh, he does answer Hotch's question. He says there are no other bodies. Hotch and JJ get up to leave, but then Hotch stops her and he puts his hand to his earpiece because it appears like he's getting a message. He says, what? The governor just granted a stay of execution for Sarah Jean? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Hotch is very straight-laced, but I I guess he's pulled off the acting job here. But to me, it seems... (laughs) Well, yeah. It's almost as if by pulling that stupid trick with the oh ho ho ho, I actually, which you know, basically shows that he's really, really bad at pulling off a practical joke or a scheme, actually makes this work <laughs> because yeah. it's not as obvious and too well thought out. But yeah, like oh, they don't think she killed your son. Hey, she just got to stay. We have to leave. We have want nothing more to do with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But no, he's yelling because this is uh, irritating him, Jacob, that is. And uh, she says, she killed him. She killed him. I can tell you exactly where he's buried, which is what they were trying to get. So I guess good job, guys. But execution was a little yeah, be- funny. Yeah. And execution is a fun word to yes. use in this episode. But uh, no, it's it's. This is where the the plot of this episode becomes a little bit problematic, but you understand why he would say, I'll tell you where the body is, because he needs her to be executed with him. That's how he wins. And if she gets a stay, then he doesn't win. So, oh, I'll tell you exactly where his, his, his body is and leads down the road. Now... We'll get to what happens when they find the body, but I understand why he he caves here a little bit. So next we cut to a very fancy looking house. I would even call it a mansion, maybe, or at least a very well-to-do looking house uh, with a pool. And Morgan and Elle and another cop are in a gazebo and are using (laughs) what looks like thermal imaging equipment. Of some kind. No, no, mind you, you said it looks like a fancy house. It has a gazebo. <laughs> Therefore, it's a fancy house. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, what happens in this gazebo? Uh, Morgan uh, saying that there's got to be something here. Jacob built this gazebo. And Al says they've searched everywhere else. Uh, Morgan says the workshop and the extension in Deb Mason's house had arches. We know he had to build this for Riley. The equipment starts beeping and it finds something and it has a little thermal imaging monitor on it. And it's very clearly a skeleton head. I mean, it looked more like a skeleton head than I think maybe it would have realistically. Like, yeah, and this, yeah, and it's not thermal imaging because there would not be a heat signature from a cold skull. It's more of an X-ray, more of an X-ray Thank kind you. of technology yes. kind of thing. But yeah, you know, absolutely, it's it's a little, it's a little uh, again on the nose. But granted, I do believe this technology exists. I do believe that they would have found it. It just for TV purposes. Let's really make it uh, Halloween skull. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we do fade out because apparently I think that was a commercial break right there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we fade back in, we're outside the prison and the protesters are still protesting. And then we cut back to the command center and are told it's Tuesday at 1 p.m., eight hours remaining. Garcia says the body ID is coming through and slowly depixelating as a picture of a young blonde girl. And I would say that it was an accurate timing of how long it would take the picture to depixelate on her monitor. So I was happy to see that. Um, yeah, it wasn't an instant. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a young blonde girl. It is not Riley Dawes. It is Ashley Farley. They've identified her who was 14 years old when she was killed. Reed wonders why Jacob would give them another victim. It goes completely against his need for power, manipulation, and control. And Gideon says, taking the secret of an old victim to his grave satisfies that need for control. Yeah, and this is, this goes back to what I was saying, where I understand his need to uh, try and get the stay of execution over with by saying, no, no, I'll show you where the body is. Maybe he just was trying to buy time and hopefully that they wouldn't find the body in time. Uh, you know, maybe they wouldn't know to look at the gazebo because he probably just gave him the address. So he's not lying and eventually they'll find it and they'll know he's not lying. So, but I mean, once, once you discover that it, isn't Riley, well, then, the, you know, the stay stays, as it were, and he's given up the power. So it is a bit odd still of a choice. Right. Garcia says, Gideon, hey, check this out. Look who happens to be the Farley's house cleaner. He looks at her screen. We don't see what he sees, but apparently this is an astonishing fact. And he Gideon turns to uh, leave the room. We cut then to Gideon arriving at Sarah Jean's cell where she's enjoying her last supper, which is apparently the Hardy's version of a Happy Meal <laughs> because it has a toy. Um, so basically, she, you know, this is how this is how good of a person she is. She didn't even splurge on the $20. She probably $4.75. dollars <laughs> yeah. tops. Uh, I have never been to a Hardy's, uh, but I believe it's the same as chain as Carl's Jr. or yes. Or, Yes, it is the East Coast version of, of uh, Carl's Jr. and is generally found from South Carolina below. In fact, the uh, original headquarters uh, is in Hardysville, South Carolina, right near the border of uh, South Carolina and Georgia. And I have I have stayed there on, on uh, long road trips to uh, Florida. It's a good stopping point uh, at Hardysville, South Carolina. It amazes me some of the things I find out that you know, AJ. <laughs> but there you go, folks. Also, <laughs> I might add that there are 573... No, sorry, I'm not, I'm not Dr. Reed. I'm not that good. <laughs> anyway, Gideon asks if he could sit down. She's like, please, please do. Um, Have some fries. <laughs> yeah. Did you know the chicken nuggets are shaped like a star? <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, Gideon just burst out with the name Ashley Farley. He says, you cleaned her parents' house. Do you remember? And she says, oh, yeah, fondly. And uh, he says that they found her buried beneath the children's gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he said the children's gazebo. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, which is why we were. I picked up what you were putting down, really emphasizing gazebo earlier. I I, I heard that. And I was like, why did we not retake this? <laughs> I just I I wanted to. Yeah, I agree. Was the director just like, you know what? I don't really want to deal with Mandy's attitude today. <laughs> I, well, probably they probably did the whole take and like, oh, that was a really good take. Maybe we could just do a cover for that line. It's like, why? What's wrong? It's just gazebo. <laughs> probably had a 10 minute screaming fit about it uh, uh, i had a five minute laughing fit about it i, I had to stop for a moment because uh, i said wait did he yeah it was the same reaction did he just say gazebo uh anyway enough of that uh, i enjoyed that moment but anyway he's telling her yeah that ashley's body was found uh buried beneath the gazebo which was another house that Jacob had happened to renovate. He must have put her there. Sarah appears shocked and starts to cry at this news, saying that she might as well have just brought her home to that bastard. So she feels an, another, yet another guilt-ridden moment at another death. Yeah, I'm just glad there wasn't a conversation where he said, when you, when you were uh, raising Riley, did you ever play the game of Pikebo? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next we cut to <laughs> Jacob and Hotch it's a dark it's dark it's a dark, dark matter you need to light the boat a little bit faithful come on <laughs> oh boy uh, we cut to Jacob and Hotch walks into the interview room and he says you lied to me it wasn't Riley it was and Jacob is like it, it wasn't <laughs> and Hotch says uh she was 14 years old, and, and uh, Jacob says, yeah, and she was really pretty. Uh, he is, as you have said, just a, the most decrepit of decrepit people. Yes, far more than creepy. He's slimy. Hacha asks how many others are there, and Jacob says he only has a few hours left. And although he really likes Hotch, he'd just like to be left alone right now. <laughs> You know, the number of serial killers that we will encounter, and we're not going to run a count on this, but let, let's just, as they come up, the number of serial killers who really like Hodge and tell him so. <laughs> <laughs> this is at least, this is yeah. At least the second. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, we've, we've had that dynamic before, yeah. I feel. Uh, he says, good meeting you, Hotch. <laughs> you know, sticks out his hand to shake uh, Hotch's hand, which, of course, gets completely... Ignored. He leaves them hanging. So no, to no, speak. no. They don't do hanging. It's on Sparky. <laughs> I'm gonna take the reins back before this gets completely out of hand. JJ, hey, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I'll go talk to the media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've lost control, and I'm a con I'm into control and manipulation. Anyway, <laughs> they start to take. Uh, where was I? I'm sorry, I've derailed the whole damn podcast. <laughs> they start to take Jacob away, and Hotch grabs him and says, oh, he's not done yet. And Jacob says, yeah, me neither. I'm like, well, you got a few more hours, but yeah, exactly. shouldn't be so <laughs> happy. Anyway, we cut back to Sarah's cell. Uh, Gideon is pointing at her painting of the river, and he says, the high reeds, the river, this here, what is this, a basket? And then he points at the other painting and says, 
the boy in that painting is what, 10 years, maybe 10 years old, maybe more. Is this how you see him or is this how he is? Sarah says she only has a few hours left. She's respectfully asking him to leave. Gideon says, where is he? Where is Riley, Sarah? Sarah asks her guard to see Agent Gideon out and he leaves. Yeah, but I mean, it is quite, quite a tell that he's on to something because she's more than happy to spend her time with the delightful Agent Gideon. But he's obviously getting close and he's like, oh, River Moses letting the boy uh, into freedom. Hmm, I see what's going on here. He's he's finally getting what we got about, you know, yeah. eight or nine scenes ago is that he's not dead. Yes, he's picking up the pieces that she had laid down hours ago. <laughs> so we next cut to a shot of Garcia's countdown clock. We see that it's at five hours and counting. Gideon comes in and asks her to pull up the interview with Sarah G. Reed says, well, what is it? And Gideon says, Exodus 2-3, which Reed immediate, immediately says, Moses. And uh, Gideon says that Hebrew sons were supposed to be drowned. Moses's mother sent him down the Nile in a basket. Uh, they start to watch the video. That It's at the point when Gideon is asking, where is he? And Sarah Jean is saying he's in a better place. And Gideon says, Jacob didn't bury Riley anywhere because Sarah Jean had already taken care of him. JJ says, then she did kill him. <laughs> no, JJ. Pay attention, <laughs> please. <laughs> now, in fairness, JJ has just had to deal with Jacob and the smelling of the hair incident. So I will give her a pass at not being fully up to speed. <laughs> yes. Reed says, no, JJ. She sent him to somewhere she believed he'd be safe. Garcia says he's alive. <laughs> like, yes, ladies. Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm <laughs> yes, tired ladies. of them. I'm tired of them having either L or JJ or Garcia be like the, the question, you know, like let, let Morgan do it. Let, let Hotch do it. I mean, I, I guess it's not necessarily their characters, but let them, Appear to be yes, the no, ones. No, I hear what you're saying. It, it, there, there, there's an air of misogyny around the first season that it does lessen as time goes by, and certain, certainly, you know, it, it's it's here. I I understand a little bit when it's Garcia because she is not a field agent, and she is not someone who understands all of the ins and outs of the profiling and the serial killing at this stage of the game. So. Garcia is there. If she wait, you mean you mean he's alive? That would be fine. But for JJ to do it, a little silly. For L to do it, very silly. So uh, I'm with you there. You've brought in the person who doesn't know. Use the person who doesn't know. Or wouldn't this have been a wonderful opportunity for to have the stupid lawyer guy still in there? You mean he's still yeah. alive? <laughs> Exactly. Oh, where is he? What is he? I need to I, to stay. You know, he, he has every motivation to like be shocked by that. Right. So that would have been a perfect spot for him. Yes. Yes. So Gideon says they're running out of time, but this is the proof that they that they're going to need to sa save Sarah Jean. Running out of time because there's only five hours left, but then suddenly there's only two hours left, and we have time for a Sparky getting prepped for his big show montage. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, we see the chair being prepped, the warden looking things over, making sure everything is up to par, up to snuff. 
nodding his head at his at various staff members. Now we've just lost three hours that we <laughs> that we would have had because the countdown clock is now at two hours left. Gideon tells Garcia to check all the police and hospital records dating back to 1990. Reed says she should check local newspapers to see if anyone's reported any b- abandoned babies. So now they're trying to find out, figure out what happened to baby Riley at in 1990, where he went. And that makes perfect sense. If they, if they suddenly find a, a newspaper report or a police report of a baby left at a hospital right next door to where they live, well, that would be a good bet if it was a two-year-old boy. Sure, I get it. Uh, Shapiro comes in, and he's on the phone, and he's talking to somebody, and he's saying, I, I don't give a damn where the governor is. We may have proof that Sarah Jean is innocent. Reed is saying she only had three hours between her police visits back then. There was 4 p.m. traffic time at that time, so the traffic would have been heavy. Uh, So whatever she did with Riley, it had to be local. So it had to be, you know, still in that area. Good detective in Reed. Yeah. Garcia says 1990, two babies were abandoned in September, but neither of them were two-year-old boys. Reed asks, why would uh, Sarah just not tell them where Riley is? And Gideon says she's going to try to protect him as long as Jacob is alive. Just a good point. And JJ says, look, they're being executed within an hour of each other. What hope do they have to find this kid in time? Reed says it's possible she doesn't know where he is. But Gideon is like, no, she's she's going to know. So he decides he's going to go search her cell. One more time. Why not? <laughs> One more again. We cut to the warden and he's standing outside of Jacob's cell and Jacob is getting his hair shaved off by a barber. Gideon comes up and tells him that tells him that he needs to get into Sarah Jean's cell. The warden says he can't do that now. All official lines of communication are over. Gideon charms him. <laughs> I just need five minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes. What's it going to happen? Uh, you can do it. Five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes. That's all I'm asking for. Five minutes. Come on. <laughs> and I used the word cajoling here. Yeah. He basically cajoles his way into five minutes. And we see Jacob who's looking at this and smiling. I don't know. And he's getting his head shaved. I mean. He's a little bit off. You know, I don't yeah. know if you've heard, but he's a sexual psychopath. <laughs> Did you say a psychopath? <laughs> we cut to the warden and he's actually taking Sarah Jean out to look at the moon after all, obviously as a distraction while Gideon is going to be searching the cell. Uh, She tells the warden that she thought it was against the regulations, and he's like, well, don't tell anybody. And uh, she says it's cold, and the warden says, well, she needs a jacket, and tells the guard, Vincent, to uh, give her (laughs) his jacket. Uh, But she says, no, no, she's fine. The cold air makes her feel, you know, alive. I would question a little bit here, and I know it's great for the story and everything, but we've set up that the execution's going to take place at 9 p.m., and there's no way it would be that dark and the moon that high at 9 p.m. You could have just made it midnight and just adjusted all your times appropriately throughout the script. I know they didn't care that much. It just... It's just a little frustrating thing that I I just don't don't buy it entirely there. If if, if it's two hours execution and it's seven o'clock now, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's 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 dark outside. The moon is high. 
Yeah, it could be nighttime. You know, I'm not going to quibble over the time of year and everything. It's cold, all right. But still, it wouldn't be that high in the sky and that dark. Although it is, it is Florida. Daylight savings. So maybe they're a little bit. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Yeah, you're right. You could have just (laughs) just said midnight and taken it all out of the equation there. Exactly. And I think that's when most executions do take place, actually, at midnight. But right of the day that it's supposed to be. Right. I mean, I'm not fact checking that. No, I'm not fact checking right it either. It's, uh, you know, just, just like as far as I'm concerned, the Haggerty's are having a family reunion right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we cut for a moment to Gideon ransacking the cell, looking for a clue to Riley's whereabouts. And then we cut back and, and Sarah is staring way up at that gorgeous full moon against the dark sky. And uh, she asked the warden how his sons are. And he says, good, Darren just graduated. And she's like, yeah. Uh, And I I actually kind of like this back and forth between them to establish, you know, they did have a bit of a nice little relationship uh, between them. Yeah. And I, I think it also explains why the warden gave him the five minutes, because I don't think the warden actually succumbed to anything Gideon did. I think he just saw it as an opportunity to give her the chance to see the moon and it gave him an excuse to do it where he's off the hook. Yeah. So I, I actually, he does have a relationship with her and he does believe that she's innocent, but you know, his hands are tied otherwise. Yeah. And we'll see, you know, we'll see, we'll see in his last statement to her. Yeah, he's a man that follows protocol. Sarah's asking him if he's ever told his kid about the man in the moon. And the warden says, sure. Sarah says she used to tell Riley that no matter where they were, the man in the moon would be looking down on both of them. Cut to Gideon, who's still ransacking uh, he's got like a pillowcase torn open, and then um, then he looks at the wall for whatever reason. His attention is brought back to the pictures, which he already stated were you know super important. Maybe yeah, he should have started with, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe should have started say, with them. <laughs> yeah, I will say I'm I'm very happy that this doesn't end up being where he looks very closely at the painting, and there in the lower left corner is is a name <laughs> 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 hidden in the reeds or something. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that thought. Uh, So he grabs the painting of the boy. um, He flips it over and there's like a little backing cover on it. And he pulls that off. And there is a newspaper clipping taped to the back of the picture of what looks like a young man holding a cello. Gideon grabs the clipping and we cut back to Sarah, who is still looking at the moon. And the warden is looking at his watch saying we should go back. Then he says, Sarah, if there's something that you know that you think could save you. She just says, thank you to the warden. This has been wonderful. She thanks him for his kindness. And she starts to walk away. Yeah, it's a great scene. Just a phenomenal scene where like the warden's just like, please, please let me save you. You know, I know you're in like yeah. you're innocent. Tell us. Tell us. Like, thank you for your yeah. kindness. This is a really nice scene. Yes. We cut to Garcia. She's looking at a comparison of the pictures of Riley when he was two and this teenager from the clipping and she's saying, that's Riley. That's her son. Isn't it? Someone tell me it's him, please. (laughs) Hotch tells JJ to circulate the photo to the press. See if anyone recognizes the boy. She asks if she should say who they think he is. And Hotch says, no, let's just put him out as a missing persons. A tone goes off and JJ asks, what does that mean? And Reed says, it means Jacob is being moved to the execution chamber. So we, uh, our time is running out. <laughs> Cut to bald Jacob entering the corridor, and he's shouting out, just 
to the prison in general. Like, I, I guess he knows that his voice will reach her. So he's shouting out, Sarah Jean, I'll be waiting for you. The warden asks if he wishes to make his peace with God. And Jacob says, I've made my peace 18 times. And each one of them was prettier than him. And Hot says, why take them with you, Jacob? And he says, you know why. The warden says, take them down. And, and Jacob brushes off the guards and says, if you don't mind, I can make this walk myself. He starts walking and then yelling out, Sarah Jean, I told you we'd be together forever. And Hot says, hey, you know, he just confessed to killing four more girls. Hello. And the warden says there's nothing he can do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand that that's what he did, but he also could be lying to to get a stab. I mean, that's not what's happening, right. but you can't you can't postpone the execution here at this point. I, I'm I'm with the warden on this one. I get that Hotch wants to. Yeah, he did just confess to four more, and and he he did that just to to twist the knife in your back, yeah. Hotch. He could he could be lying. There could be zero more. He could be just funning yeah. with you. We cut to Sarah Jean. She's now in with the barber getting her hair shaved, uh, cut and shaved. And she's holding the picture of the painting of the boy and she's staring at it. And all of a sudden she can hear Jacob and he's yelling, are you ready, Sarah Jean? We're going to ride the lightning, baby. All right. Ding, <laughs> ding. Title, title. Even though it's riding the lightning, that's close yeah, enough. No, I, was, ding, I wasn't going to hold, hold it off for that. I was like, okay. Thank you. That's two in a row. Yeah, I was so ex- <laughs> excited for back, that. Back on the back on the lightning train. <laughs> she, uh, Sarah, looks at down at her painting again, uh, but now she flips it over and she sees that her newspaper clipping has been taken. Dum, dum, dum. We cut to Reed, who's talking about the same photo, saying that she's cut around the photo so no one could read the text. That uh, Riley was two when he disappeared. This boy appears to be about sixteen or seventeen. If it is Riley, it means this is a very recent photo. Uh, JJ asks, once Jacob's dead, do you think that Sarah Jean will tell us if this is Riley? Gideon doesn't answer. He just turns around and walks out of the room. Yeah. Yep. Not much. Not much. uh, This is just basically a scene to beat us over the head like, hey, that was Riley. (laughs) And it must be current because we couldn't figure that out. Uh, and to just give us a little more time so that Jacob could get it all set up in his nice, comfy chair. Yeah. We see him getting strapped to the chair and getting all the connections, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, all the little parts put put on his body. And uh, then the curtain to the gallery of witnesses opens up as he's strapped there and he can see them all. And the warden asks him if he has any last words. And he just smiles and says, bring it on. <laughs> and uh, they're starting. What's my favorite movie about cheerleaders? <laughs> <laughs> they're starting to pull pull the hood over his head. But there's time enough for Hotch to storm in and uh, hold up to the glass the picture of the cello boy. And he says, it's Riley, Jacob, you lose. It's Riley. And Jacob is like, no. The hood is pulled down over his face. The warden nods to the guy to hit the switch, and Jacob is electrocuted. Uh, you point to Hodge? Yeah. Kinda? Yeah. Kinda? I mean, 
mean, yeah, as, as you see, you didn't you didn't get her to kill the boy, which is what you thought all along. Yeah. So and takes a little bit of that control away. Sure. Yeah. And they heard him and he did hear them sort of planning to like search for evidence of Riley because that could be evidence to save her. So now maybe he thinks she might get saved. He doesn't know. He doesn't have the satisfaction of knowing right. for sure that exactly. she's been executed as well. Uh, Fair enough. We cut next to Sarah Jean's cell. She's bald now as well. Uh, Gideon comes in and hands her back the news clipping, which was nice. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) He says, you know what? Jacob is gone. He's no longer any threat to Riley. Just tell me where he is. We can stop all this madness. Sarah says there is no greater gift in life than that of being a parent. Yet so many of us abuse and squander that gift. Gideon says, look, you can change that right now. She says, no, she made her decision 15 years ago. This was never about Jacob. It was always about Riley. Gideon says, that's why he can't let her do this. She says, this isn't about you or me. He says, he he knows it isn't. That's why he's not going to let Riley lose the greatest gift he never knew he had. As he turns to leave, she says, but this is my gift to him. And I'm not going to let you destroy that. Battle lines drawn. <laughs> we cut back to Garcia's area and Gideon is saying uh, that the only people Jacob allowed Sarah Jean to know were the family she cleaned for. Hotch said she worked for wealthy families all over Hampton. So they need to go over all of the families in the state of Florida who were looking to adopt in 1990, see how many lived in Hampton. Of course, that takes no time at all for Garcia to come up with. There's hundreds of families looking to adopt, but only three in Hampton. Uh, She names three couples, and one of those couples is the Sheffields. JJ says it looks like the Sheffields removed themselves from the list in October of 1990 and then moved out of Hampton. Gideon says, well, that's just one month after Riley vanished. Where did they go? Garcia clickety-clacks, and then she says, Keystone Heights. And immediately, almost immediately, I mean, it appears to be immediately, they've matched the newspaper clipping to a local daily news clipping from Keystone Heights. That is their clipping. So this is indeed who they're looking for. Yeah, it's incredible plot contrivance here that she can go clickety-clack. Okay, I have all the adoption records from 1990. Clickety-clickety-clack. And there's only three of them that we're interested in. And they moved to where, JJ, you said? Because I could read it, but you just read it. Keystone Heights? Clickety-clickety-clack. Reverse image search. (laughs) You know, that would have made more sense. Today, you just go reverse image search. It might come up. But uh, that that technology didn't exist. But apparently, (laughs) uh, if you... Have Keystone Heights and type in Keystone Heights. Give me all the pictures of kids playing cellos. It shows up in half a second. So. Yeah. There you go. Uh, TV. <laughs> so Hotch says, call Morgan and L. Tell them to get over to the Sheffield house. Uh, Reed looks over the article and uh, names our cello player as Byron Sheffield, local cello prodigy. 17-year-old Byron Sheffield won a scholarship to play the cello. That's what the clipping said. Uh, it's delightful. Delightful. He he is he is a cello prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably the 
uh, web service they used to connect to yeah. to get to that. Thank goodness he wasn't a cello so comp you serve. They never would have found him. <laughs> Elle gets in the car. She asks Morgan, how many miles is it to Keystone Heights? He says, way too many. She says, they're never going to make it in time. And he says, not if you keep running your mouth. It's <laughs> like, damn. Okay. Okay. Morgan, I guess you were kind of upset you didn't have many lines this week. <laughs> I don't know. He seemed to, that came out I of think, nowhere. I think what we're learning is that when Morgan gets tired, he gets mean. Because he usually snaps on Reed like that. Uh, certainly something to track is Morgan's uh, sleep to snark ratio. <laughs> Elle says, well, you better buckle up and, and they take off. Gideon goes to the warden as they are pulling Sarah Jean out for her last walk. Uh, Gideon says, look, we found him. We found her son. The warden says, unless he receives an official stay of execution from the governor, he is duty bound to see this through. Sarah says, my son is dead Agent Gideon. Gideon tells the warden he has agents on the way to the house as they speak. The governor is standing by. Sarah says, why can you not just accept the truth? Gideon says he can accept the truth, but this isn't it. Gideon says his agents are minutes away from finding her son alive. The warden says he's truly sorry. They stop in front of the door, I'm presuming, to the execution chamber. The warden tells him to hold there, and I guess he has to go. Prep you know, the stuff. Confirm everything yeah. is all right. Uh, make sure, make sure, make sure that the the chair is clean from the last use just minutes before. You, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarah asks Gideon, "What wouldn't you do for your son to give him a life you could never hope to dream of?" I am at peace in the knowledge that my son is free to be whatever he chooses to be. Gideon says, "If he knew who you were, do you think he'd choose to allow you to walk in there?" Sarah says, if he knew who his parents were, can you imagine the damage their legacy would leave him? Which is a pretty very, good very point. Very good point. Finally, and you finally start to get, you know, what her motivation has been this whole time, if you hadn't gotten that before. Yeah, it's like, look, Gideon, like, it's one thing that you haven't talked to your son in 20 years, or however long it's been, you know, you're, you're estranged, and you finally reached out, didn't even call him when the White Sox won the World Series? Come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. hey, how would you feel if, if you know, you were 25, if, if you were uh, 16, rather, and, and suddenly learned that your parents were serial killers, and you've been adopted, and you might not even know he's adopted? Like, come on. That, that, yeah. Soul crushing. But, I mean, that's a huge sacrifice to be making. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> but that's the choice she made. That's the choice she made. And and you get it. Absolutely. You do get it. And that's basically what she says after Gideon is like, well, can you imagine what he would feel knowing his mother spent 15 years on death row, innocent of all charges? She just says, look, it's not me. It's all about Riley. It's not just my life you have in your hands, Gideon. It's Riley's life, too. You have the chance to save my son's life. Gideon's like, I choose to save yours, too. And he, she says, my life ended the day I met Jacob. It's pretty deep. Pretty deep. Morgan and Elle pull up to an ex another expensive-looking mansion. The sirens are blasting. They hop out of the car. Morgan uh, tells Garcia they made it. They start pounding on the door. Morgan says, Garcia, tell Gideon we're here. Elle's like, yeah, but I, it doesn't seem like anybody else is here. Um, <laughs> the warden comes out and says, okay, it's time. The guards grab Sarah, but Gideon's like, take your hands off her. 
he tells Garcia to tell Morgan to kick the door down if he has to, because he knows that's he knows his Morgan what yep. he wants to do. <laughs> but you know, when we come back and look at those doors, Morgan ain't kicking those doors no, down. Nor is he going to, because he knows nobody's home, so he's he's not stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gideon is again like yelling at the guards, take your hands off her. The warden is like, Agent Gideon. Agent Gideon says, a few minutes, please, please. Morgan is still pandering on the door, but L stops him because a car is pulling up. And we see the family, the Sheffield family in the car. Mr. Sheffield gets out and tells his family to stay. He asks them, can he help them? Morgan comes up and says, Frank Sheffield. Frank, Frank says, what's this about? Morgan says, this is about your son. Uh, Sheffield kind of swallows and like maybe he knows what's going on a little bit. And he says, my son, what? Uh, Morgan asks if that's his son in the car. Sheffield says he doesn't understand. What's this all about? Morgan starts to explain their federal agents. Ellis telling Hotch that they have him. He's here. What do we do? Hotch relays this to Gideon. Sarah says she is standing there because of choices she made. Don't let her son be Jacob's last victim. Let her go. Let them both go. Uh, Gideon is finally moved. You can see it in his eyes. He goes up to hug Sarah. It's a tense moment for a minute there. Everybody's wondering what they're going to do next. And he's whispering in her ear. This is like a Lost in Translation ending where he's whispering something to her and we don't hear it. We don't get to know what he says to her, but whatever... Whatever he says, you know, they, they embrace and they both kind of smile a little bit. So it's, 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 I think it's better that we don't hear it, to be honest. It's, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's just a cool, a cool moment. So then he says to tell Morgan that it's not her son, that they've made a mistake. Hotch lets Elle know this. She calls Derek over to, to tell him that. And then he goes back to Mr. Sheffield and says, uh, they're very sorry. They have the wrong house. They apologize for any inconvenience and turns to walk away. Uh, Sheffield Sheffield knew what was going on. You can tell. He calls out a agent and, and Morgan turns around and he just says, thank you. Yeah, it's so, very powerful. It's it's yeah. surprising that a guy who's on screen for like two seconds, <laughs> basically a couple lines. But like it's just, yeah, like you said, he, he, he gulped earlier. Look, if you are a guy who illegally adopted the son of a woman who is a serial killer, but you knew she was kind of innocent, and but you knew that this was the day she was getting executed. It, you know what's up. So when he's at the door, he's surprised, but he's not completely clueless. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's a really cool, powerful moment there. Like Everybody is aware of the situation except for Byron. And the fact that they keep it that way is 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 nice. So now the guards start to walk Sarah away. She stops for a moment and asks Gideon if it would be too much to ask if it could be his face as the last face that she sees. Uh, Gideon sort of looks choked up and, and looks at Hotch and then starts walking toward her. And now we cut to her strapped in the chair. Uh, same routine as before. And the curtain opens up to the gallery and... She sees Gideon is indeed there. She stares at him, a grateful look in her eyes. The warden nods. The hood is placed over her head. We zoom into Gideon's face. Uh, and again, a very nice scene. We start to hear that cello music playing that uh, opened the episode. 
and we cut to see Riley playing the cello and Gideon is in the audience with a smile and also a tear going down his cheeks. And uh, we get our closing quote. Albert Pine said, what we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains and is immortal. Yeah, which not only applies to the sacrifice that Sarah Jean makes, but also Gideon's decision to save uh, Byron's life uh, as it presently stands. And he'll never know, and that's that's the decision he's made. And it is that kind of, I just love that final image of it's it's a happy thing, but it's also very sad at the same time. It's, 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 there's no right answer here. It's just the decision that he made, and he's he's conflicted. And I like the fact that they show that that as his, AJ, his thing yeah yeah your boy teared up a little bit aj well, of course at that last scene of course this is i mean this was just i was like oh man <laughs> no i'm not crying i just uh you know uh i'm, I'm talking to no one i'm just watching this by myself <laughs> i'm not crying i just i, I just uh I, I i love the cello <laughs> yeah the cello is beautiful man uh, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, this was just a fantastic episode. Probably the best one uh, that we've seen thus far. Just uh, nitpicks to be sure, but from an emotional standpoint and just the way that you can get that kind of emotion from characters who you've never met before, uh, it's it just phenomenal. Outstanding performances for both uh, Sarah Jean and uh, and um, Jacob. her husband. <laughs> Jacob, thank you. Those actors, both uh, both recognizable faces. Uh, I didn't really look them up this time. I usually do, but I, oh, I didn't good this that time. You didn't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, but uh, but they did a great job. Probably my favorite episode. I mean, I'm I'm still I'm still uh, attached to the pilot just because it's what got us into it. You know. Sure, sure. But yeah, I think after after several episodes of questionable plot points and, you know, mm, did they win? <laughs> you know, little yeah. that going. I I think it was I think it was really nice to to just have an episode that really stands on its own. And if anybody watched this as their first episode would totally get what's going on the entire way through. Uh you don't want every case to be like that. You don't want every episode to be one of these things where you don't take the history of the characters into account. But when you can come up with one that you don't need to know anything and you still feel the emotion of it, I think the writers and the actors, just everyone did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say this is the first, first episode that I really felt kind of an emotional tug at, at a lot of scenes uh, in the episode. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it, I think well-earned too. It wasn't, wasn't manipulative at all. It just, the situation just kind of just brought you there. So. Uh, you had an honest reaction to it, and I think uh, points, points across the board. <laughs> they won. Major. Uh, it is time for our barometer. Yeah, yes. to figure out did they win. Well, uh, coming into this episode, we were nine wins, one loss, and three ties. And I know this may come as a surprise, but I'm going to say they lost. What? Yeah, well, first of all, there was no case to solve here. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, they they were, they were here to interview the two killers on death row. But in the course of that interview, they discovered that one of them was innocent. 
and she is executed. And I think not only, even though it's a choice that Gideon makes to not expose, uh, had he gone down the other road, I think that it's also a loss that he would have then destroyed Riley slash, you know, Byron's life. And so I don't, I think he was in a no-win situation. And I also think there's emotional impact that's going to stick with him going forward from this. I mean, he's crying, you know, <laughs> he yeah. was affected by this. This isn't one of the, those, the ones that he can just sleep off on the jet home. Like this, this, the fact that he's been going to visit Byron uh, playing the cello shows that he is going to have this one stick with him for a long time. So when your, your characters are in a no win situation, I have to say they lost, even though, you know, a lot they did was understandable. Very fair. All right. I I thought we were going to go with a tie, personally, uh, but I accept the loss. I accept it because I really had to question how I, I, I had a hard time deciding if it was a win or a loss. That's why I was going to say tie, because like you say, there were both, both options were equally bad. So... Yeah, but like I said, I, I think when your characters are in that lose-lose situation, your only conclusion in our win-or-loss scale is to say, well, then they lost. <laughs> but like I said, it was an understandable, and I don't think there was anything else they could have done. But I think that's what makes the loss all that more painful. Yeah. And that's why the episode works, and it's why you uh, were chopping onions at the end. There you go. <laughs> all right, AJ, do we have a little quiz to take this week? Why? Yes. Yes, we do. As every week, uh, I put together three trivia questions for you uh, based on the episode, uh, because as you know, I love the trivia and it wouldn't be a complete episode without torturing you a little bit here. Yeah. Question one, sir. Yeah. You've been doing well. You've been doing well. Okay. You've had a couple of one for threes. Uh, you're, you're four weeks in a row. I haven't sh- I haven't shut you out. So. Let's keep that streak going at least. Minimal. Okay. Let's hope you do not lose. <laughs> <laughs> Question one. Janetta Arnett, who of course played Sarah Jean in this episode, uh, playing that notorious half of a serial killer double dip team here in this episode. Uh, well, she would be seen just a few months later on television screens in a sitcom playing Ruthie Rose, the manager for what actress who is playing a fictionalized version of herself. What? <laughs> I will repeat the question one more time. Janetta Arnett, who played the notorious Sarah Jean in this episode, would be seen just a few months later on a sitcom playing Ruthie Rose, the manager for what actress, who is playing a fictionalized version of herself? So I, I'm not familiar with this show. I'm going to throw out a guess i've never seen this show so i don't know if this is what it was about but i'm going to throw out uh the name lisa kudrow lisa kudrow a very cromulent guess certainly uh thinking that perhaps uh she was playing uh the fictionalized version of herself uh as an actress uh, who has a manager wasn't that the HBO show? Like, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was an HBO show with Lisa Kudrow, and yeah, I don't even remember no, the this name of it. Show. She was Golden Globe nominated uh, for all stuff. I, for the life of me, I can't think of the name of the show right now, but I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, so you're not you're not uh, too far off base here. No, uh, the hint was that uh, I said 
that Sarah Jean was notorious. The name of the sitcom in question was So Notorious. It was Tori Spelling. Ah. Playing Tori Spelling and her fictionalized world. Yeah, I missed that one too, AJ. <laughs> what? It was on VH1. How could you have missed it? <laughs> It had a good score in Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> cannot give you the point on that one, so let's just move on. Question two is going to be much easier because it's multiple choice. Yay. Like multiple choice. Yes. I'm never going to hit you up without <laughs> multiple choice most times. Uh, all right. So if I asked you simply to name a famous cellist, you'd probably be able to come up with Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> and that's it. And Probably. that's it. Yes. But on most lists that I looked at, uh, Yo-Yo Ma is considered universally to be a top five cellist of all time. And I saw a lot of the same names in the top five on all of these lists I looked at. So very simply, I'm going to give you four names. Which of the following four names is not, in fact, a famous cellist? Okay, so three of these names are. You tell me the one that isn't. Is it A, Jacqueline Dupree? Is it B, Jose Carreras? Is it C, Julian Lloyd Webber? Or is it D, Mstislav Rostropovich? <laughs> uh, there's a Julian Lloyd Webber? Maybe. That's interesting. I also feel like it's a trap answer. I feel like there is a Julian Lloyd Webber. And because that name, Lloyd Webber, sticks out to me, I'm going to say, oh, you must be making that up. But in actuality, he is the cellist. So I'm going to say, for no particular reason whatsoever, the answer is B, which I think you said was Jose Carreras. I did. That is not a cellist. You are correct. Jose Carreras is one of the three tenors. (laughs) <laughs> so he probably sang in front of cellists on many an occasion but he's friends with Pavarotti and uh, Placido Domingo AJ I'd like to tell you of course I knew that but but your answer was... clear, your, your thought process clearly <laughs> belies the fact that you did not <laughs> <laughs> yes excellent well but still it's right if it's right it's right hey, heck yeah alright well one out of two excellent let's see if you can Tip the scales in your favor with question three, my favorite question of every week. What is the plot of the next episode that we are going to see next time out? What is the plot of Criminal Minds season one, episode 15, entitled Unfinished Business? Is it A, after being cleared as a suspect in a murder case, the BAU is shocked when police catch that suspect, red-handed, just 24 hours later. Is it B? Gideon's mentor comes into the BAU as a consultant when an old cold case suddenly gets warm again. Is it C? Hotch takes the team to reinvestigate the case of a serial killer he once prosecuted who is now appealing that conviction. Or is it D? Morgan goes home on a personal quest to find out who killed an old high school friend. Oh, these are always so good, AJ. (laughs) Dang it. I've got the knack. (laughs) Wow. 
I like them all as choices. I'm going to, again, just throw out a blind guess. Um, I think because we just discovered uh, very recently that Hotch was an attorney, I think now they gave us that little nugget of information because a couple episodes later, they were going to do this episode where he goes back to work on one of his old cold cases. Uh, that was option C, I believe. I don't remember exactly how you described it, but that's the choice I'm going to go with. Hey, so we're going as Hotch taking the team uh, to reinvestigate the case of a serial killer he once prosecuted, now appealing that conviction. That is yes. C. I mean, why would you plant the seed of Hutch being a prosecutor if you weren't going to follow it up at some point? That point is not this week. Uh. <laughs> no, King Todd. <laughs> Don't be silly. Why, after a very heavily Gideon-centric episode, of course we're going to have another heavily Gideon-centric episode. Yes, Gideon's mentor comes into the BAU as a consultant when an old cold case suddenly gets warm again that is the unfinished business of episode 15 next time around also unfinished business is the title of a pretty good epmd album <laughs> looking to listen uh wow okay well one for three yet again you're consistent i can't wait to <laughs> yeah i can't wait until next week to try to improve that record uh, but I probably just jinxed myself to. We shall see. Not. We shall see. Well, that was fun. And folks, that was our show for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Please uh, subscribe to rate and review our podcast. Say nice things about us. Let other people know about the podcast. We'd certainly appreciate it. Uh, if you're enjoying yourself, invite someone else to enjoy it as well. Uh, if you'd like, you can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Uh, for AJ Mass, this is Katad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! This is what we do, my mother's life said. We find ourselves in the sacrifices that we make. Cammie McGovern, Neighborhood Watch.